Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, before we start, Job, I want to take just five minutes and tell you uh, a couple things from the last series we did. We did this series called Real Marriage, and I've got to tell you, the, um, well, the response, the email, the connect cards from you guys have absolutely blown me away. So many of you were honest and transparent, which is a real value we have around here. You can just come and be real. And you were saying that my marriage needed to grow. And some of you were just so generous in talking about how God used the efforts of this church um, to help you and your marriage do that. In four cases I know of, people were saying to me, in, in a definitive way, we were headed for divorce. In two of those four, they had already began the divorce proceedings in terms of getting a lawyer and all that stuff. And in all four of those cases, there's been a turnaround and a real attempt to come back together. And I just want to let you know that God is at work, and we give him glory for that, and we're so grateful. And whenever you partner with God and what he wants to do in your life, it will change things. It will make things better for you. Now, there are two issues I wanted to mention real quickly. There are two marriages that I'm aware of in this room um, that are still on the verge. And I'm just asking you if you would join with me as a family to pray for those. You don't need to know the details. You don't need to know the situation. But unless God intervenes, things are going to go in, in an opposite direction than what they should. And we just don't like to see that around here. Um, divorce, the Bible says God hates it because he knows the pain it brings into people's lives. And I just don't want to see that happen in our congregation. Of course, we're always going to love. We're always going to accept. We're always going to give people a chance to grow and develop. But we want to stand against this work of the enemy in marriage. Would you do that with me just by nodding your head? Would you join with me in these couple of marriages that I'm aware of? And listen, if you're right there and you're like, you just haven't communicated, but you're right there, you should know that as long as you're still breathing, God's not done with you. He's still working and he's still available and he's willing to come alongside you wherever you invite him into your life. All right. So let me tell you one more thing. I am so grateful today. Um, when we started this church, Jill and I, one of our prayers was, is that God, would you help us to do church in such a way that our kids don't hate it? You know what happens with pastor's kids, right? You know how ugly it can get sometimes. I mean, there's all kinds of jokes about pastor's kids and how they get, you know, messed up. And it seems like sometimes people that give their most to the church, sometimes it has impact on their family. Well, Jill and I are so grateful this morning because of the impact of many of you in this room who invested in the life of our daughter and a couple people from this church specifically, they went over and they're working in England today. My daughter this morning led worship at a church in England. She's thousands of miles away from home and because of your investment in her and uh, yeah, exactly, that's good. Because of your investment in her um, and just the gener generousness of this congregation, um, she was able to have seeds planted in her life that are growing and producing fruit. I just, Jill and I just want you to know how much we love you. We are grateful that you have partnered with us in the development of our kids. Now, I've got three boys, and they need Jesus, friends. They need <laughs> Jesus bad. Um, so please don't give up on us. All right, so in your Bible, uh, go ahead and grab your Bible, the book of Job. We're going to be looking at Job today. I want to tell you that today and next week, we're going to take a journey through an amazing book of the Bible. It's going to blow your mind. I think that many of you in this room, many of you, not all of you, you know this story. In fact, it takes about 30 seconds to tell the story of Job. Are you ready for this? Here it goes. Job was a good man. He had lots of blessings in his life because he followed the way of God. He had a great family. He had good health. He had wealth. He was a man of stature in his community. And then he lost it all. Oh, but God was faithful. And near the end of his life, God brought it all back, double-fold everything into his life. And so shows the faithfulness of God. Now, that book of the Bible, the book of Job... It's 42 chapters long, and it takes 30 seconds to tell the story. But it only takes 30 seconds to tell the story if you don't tell the whole story. In between the beginning, where Job was good and righteous and blessed, 
And in the end, when Job gets it all back after the difficulties of this life, there's an entire dialogue that takes place. A dialogue that takes place in one of the greatest pieces of literature that God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw fit to write for us and saw fit to record for us in the pages of our Bible so that you and I would not be left without some sense of what we're to do when we go through difficult times. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. The Bible says that God's people perish. You know what they perish for? For lack of knowledge. That's what the Bible says. That we perish, that we experience all kinds of death and difficulty in our life because we don't know enough or the truth that we know hasn't penetrated deep into our hearts, not only our minds. And God wants us today to take a look at this book and for the next week or so and to discover some things that we can have in mind, understand about the character of God that I believe will bring peace I believe it'll bring clarity. I believe it'll keep the vision of what God wants for you alive in your life. I really do. God, if he wants anything for us today, he wants us to have a clear picture of him. And you're gonna get that with clarity in this book. You really are. Now, it's gonna take us a couple weeks. I'm not gonna be able to do all of Job in a week or so, all right? And I, I don't know that I can even package it all that pretty. So today, we're going to lay some foundational work. And to do that, I have to take you far away from this place today. And I have to help you get on your mind's eye a different scene than this room. I need you, if you don't mind, to get in mind a typical courtroom scene. A typical courtroom scene, except our courtroom for today is not a courtroom on the earth. It's not in D.C. at the Supreme Court. The courtroom today is the ultimate courtroom. It's the courtroom of heaven. In the old world, in the ancient Near East in which this story is set, it would have been called the throne room. It would be the place that the king would sit and he would make his ultimate judgments. And like every courtroom, there would be defendants, and there would be prosecutors, there would be accusers, and there would be a jury as well. Something would be on trial. Someone would be on trial for something. And this is the exact setting that we find the book of Job to be. We find it to be the courtroom of heaven where someone is on trial. And throughout the story, that situation changes. Who it is that's sitting in the seat of being tried. So here's our seat today. Here's our seat. And in very real sense today, our main character, old Job, that's how I used to say it until I got edumacated and I realized it was Job. Old Job here is uh, sitting in the seat of being judged. And what the challenge is, is that in the courtroom of heaven, there are messengers, there are page people, angels actually, the word means messengers, and they come to and from earth, the scene of life, up to the courtroom of heaven, and they report on what's going on. This is the idea that we get. And by the way, the word angel does mean messenger, and the Bible tells us that there are angels on this earth doing God's bidding and finding out what's going on and reporting back to him all the kinds of things and interacting with us sometimes, and we're not even aware of it. In Job's case, the angels are coming back to God and saying, your man Job, he gets it right, God. This guy loves you. He serves you. He honors your law. He doesn't just worship you with his lips. He puts into practice your law. And he's experiencing the benefits that come from doing that. His integrity is without question, they said of Job to God. Well, one day in the courtroom of heaven, the prosecuting attorney shows up. He's called in the Hebrew, the accuser. Now in Hebrew, here's what that word sounds like. Satan. Satan. Does it sound like anything to you? Satan, maybe? Yeah. 
Only a few people laugh. You have to be like 40 to remember back to uh, SNL for those. Everybody under age 20 is like, what? What is he doing? I don't know what he's doing right now. All right. It's the Satan, all right? He's the prosecutor. Literally in Hebrew, his name means accuser. And he comes to God one day and he says, your man Job? And God says, yeah, have you considered him? Isn't he awesome? He does my stuff. There isn't a man like him at all on the face of the earth. And Satan comes to God and stands beside of the testimony of Job on the seat and says, let me tell you about your man, Job. Your man, Job, he doesn't serve you, God, because he loves you. He serves you, God, and here, here's the test. He serves you because you bless him. I mean, Job's no dummy. He comes to you, God, and he says, hey, it would be foolish of me not to take your laws seriously. Because when I don't take your laws seriously, pain comes into my life. When I take your, your laws seriously, they serve like guardrails on the road for me. I'm an idiot if I don't follow your laws. And so he follows your laws, God, not because he loves you, but because when he does it, it blesses him. He gives you, God, money. The Bible in the book of Job talks about money. He gives you money, God, because when he does that to you and to your work, what happens is you bless his finances. And he's no idiot. He wants his finance blessed. He wants your favor in the middle of his finances. So of course he gives you money, but he doesn't give it from a pure heart. He doesn't give it because he loves you. He gives it because it works for him. And of course, God, he honors you in his relationship with his wife because he knows when he does that, that that road brings more joy. Though it has challenges, it brings him more joy over the course of his life to honor his wife. But he doesn't honor his wife in some type of a reflection of his relationship with you. He does it because it works for him. God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? And the Satan, the accuser, the prosecuting attorney says, well, of course I have, God. And when I look at him, here's the deal with Job. He only has a relationship with you because it works for him. And this is the big challenge of the book of Job. The whole point of the book of Job is around this central question. Why do people serve God? Why do people have a relationship with God? What motivates them? What's really going on in their hearts? And this is an important question. In fact, I know the truth about a lot of us in this room. It's been true of me at various points in my life. That my relationship with God tends to thrive, at least in my eyes, when I have a profound sense of need. You let me have a health issue going on with somebody I love, and I'll hit my knees in prayer more frequently. I go to God with great sense of urgency and passion as the challenges in my life stack up, so does my desire to have God in my life. That ever happened to you? Has it ever happened to you that when the challenges mount, you're more receptive to God and the converse is often true? When it seems like life is going pretty okay for us, and in our Western American mindset, that means our finances are largely okay, we're not going hungry, and our health is generally all right, and our relationships are generally going okay, and our job's pretty good, and our kids are doing okay, then sometimes what happens is the jets of our relationship with God begins to cool, and the momentum forward begins to slow down. Now, the question of Job, no matter what you've heard in your past, has not been so much about answering the question, why do people suffer? no, no, no. If you've heard that, you've heard wrong. The book of Job never answers that question. The book of Job is a more basic question that every single person in this room can relate to. Maybe you've never thought about it before, but today you get an invitation to search your heart deeply and let God probe around into the secret places of your life and ask yourself this question. What is it 
you're connected to God for? What motivates you? What is the glue that holds you in a relationship with God? If you're like me, a lot of times it's because of what I can get out of it. And I guess to some level, that's okay. In fact, I think that's an okay beginning point. And if, if, if that idea gets put through the appropriate ringers and is cleaned up enough, it, it might even be a fairly complete understanding. But for so many of us, our connection to God, unfortunately, and the story of Job is going to invite us in, in a healthy and in a, in, in I think, a, in, a, in, a, in a not so gentle, but in a clarifying way, why we connect to God. And it's going to give us the ability to see another side of God and another side of the way he relates to us that I think is going to bring liberty to you. I think it's going to bring freedom to you. I think on a spiritual level, but through all the different areas of your life, what we're going to talk about today and next Sunday, what it's going to do, it's going to give you greater understanding of just how much God loves you, how much he's for you, how much he is with you, and so that no matter what is going on in the details of your life, you have a God that is stuck to you. You have a God that is committed to you. You have a God that has your best interest at heart. And that initiating of his into a relationship with us can form for us a new and a better and a more complete connection to him that isn't, and here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the point, that isn't tossed along by the difficulties of life changing and mutating as the details of our life changes. It's a relationship that is stable and healthy and good. It's a relationship that you can't put your hands around and put your mind around to such a degree that you cannot ex- begin to explain that relationship to other people and help them to see just how powerful and sovereign and good and great our God is so that they don't get stuck on a, on a kindergarten kind of level which is what the accuser, Satan, was accusing Job of. He goes to you, God, for what he can get out of it. But you can go through elementary school and middle school and high school and college and graduate school and have a relationship with God that will last your lifetime, not just here, but in eternity as well, one that brings constant vibrancy and vitality to you. I think the book of Job is a call not to ask why does bad things happen to good people, but it's a call to ask, why do people connect with God at all anyway? So with that, go in your Bibles to Job chapter 42 is where we're going to begin. Right at the end, Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42, verse 10. I'm going to tell you the end of the story and give us a vision for where we're going. This is my heart. This is my prayer for you. After all the stuff had gone on in Job's life, here's what the Bible says. And Job prayed for his friends. We're going to discuss his friends in a few minutes. Three friends that surround Job and try to help him make sense of his world. In one sense, you could give them the friend of the year award because they stay with him. They stick with him. They're present in the middle of his difficulty. And in one sense, they're the worst friends they've ever had because everything they say to Job is in some sense incomplete or wrong. But when it was all over, Job prayed for his friends. And then listen to this phrase. This is my heart for you. And the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. One version says it this way, that Job's latter life was better than his former life. That the end of his days was better than his beginnings. And so over the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna help try to expose a God to you who has this heart for you. That no matter where you are, that your latter will be better than your former. 
that if you got here in the middle of your life and it isn't all that you want it to be, if you got here and your relationship with God isn't all that you want it to be, if you got here and somehow banging your head against the guardrails of God's way of doing life has left you bruised and battered, and it isn't all that you want it to be, my prayer for you is that your latter days will be better than your former days. That God will restore back to you. That he will abundantly bless. Because here's the truth, friends. I want the blessings of God in my life, and I bet you do too. I bet to some degree that's why you're sitting right here. And that's okay. It really is. But God isn't done with us. He doesn't just want us to get to a point of comfort and security and feeling great about where we are in life and having just enough money left over in our, in our checking account and having just enough lack of drama in our relational accounts and having just enough health to survive and do all that we hope to do all the way up until a grand old age. That's not all that he wants to do for us. He wants to give us a vibrant, here's the vision, a vibrant and a healthy and thriving spiritual understanding, a connection with him that lasts and lingers and doesn't fade away as the details in our life changes. God wants, no matter what brought you in this room, for you to begin a journey with him that leaves you better, more blessed. And the tangible language of the book of Job, the way it happened for him is God gave him back twice as much stuff. And when he went through the stuff and there was a faithfulness in him, as Job sat in the seat of the witness on trial, as Job sat in the seat of the one who was you know, having to be defended and he comes through rather, rather clean on some level, his integrity is intact. His, his sense of God's righteousness is intact. As Job does that, God restores back to him. As Job gets a clearer picture of God, one of the primary verses in this text that we're going to look at is that there comes a point when Job looks at God and says this phrase, and it may be true for you, and this is exactly where we're going to delve in deep. Job says of God this, he says, up until this point, my, eyes, or my ears had heard about you. Up to this point, God, my ears have heard about you. I had a certain understanding. I knew a certain thing about you. But today, today, God, my eyes have seen you. I had heard about you, but today I saw you. I think that for a lot of us, a clearer picture of God and God's heart for us and what God wants for us, a vision of our spiritual lives could change so much. My heart for you is that no matter what brought you in this room, you leave with an extra spring in your step spiritually. Because here's the truth. There will come a day, if you're not in it already, where every one of us will sit in this seat right here. And we will have an accuser, and we will have a defender. And the question is, like the old cartoons with the, with the devil and the angel, which ear are you going to listen to? Which ear is going to be the one that pours truth into your life? Or are you going to listen to the other side, which is full of lies and deception? So, Job chapter 1 now, the beginning of the story. Here's what it says in verse 1. Follow along in your Bible if you don't mind. In the land of us, uh, UZ, we don't really know where that is. It's undetermined. But because of the details of this book, we know that the setting of this is sometime around the time of Abraham Isaac and Jacob, the fathers of the faith, an old patriarchal time. And you'll figure out why in just a second. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Now listen to how he's described. This man was blameless and he was upright and he feared God and he shunned evil. He kept the laws of God. He had the appropriate place of God in his heart to a real degree. This fear of the Lord is a big deal. I don't know about you, but 
There have been times in my life where I've been too reckless about God. I, 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 I acted as if his opinions didn't matter as if his words weren't there staring me in the face. I didn't have any sense of awe, let alone I didn't have any appropriate sense of respect of him. But Job had a sense that he feared God, and because of that, he shunned evil the way opposite of God. And he had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camel and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man of all the people of the east. Now, east, east is east of Israel. So somewhere over towards Babylon, potentially, the land that Abraham originally came from and traveled across the Fertile Crescent and landed in Israel. He was the greatest of all of these men, in part because of the favor of God that was on his life. And then the Bible tells us, if you keep reading here, that calamity began to strike. That Satan shows up at the courtroom of heaven and says to God, Hey, I've been going around the earth, looking around, kind of seeing what's going on. And God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? And he says, I know Job. Job only serves you because you bless him. And God says, well, let's just test that theory. Let's see what's really going to happen to Job. God says, in effect, I think you'll find my man Job to be a man who isn't just in it for the details of his life. He has an appropriate connection to me. And Satan says, there's no way. You touch a man deep enough, any man, any person in the face of the earth, you touch him deep enough, God, and he'll end up despising you, cursing you, and hoping for death. And God says, uh-uh, not my man Job. And so Satan is given permission from God to go down and begin to touch the different areas of blessing in Job's life. It's a tragic story. It's a story that Job never gets to understand. He never gets to get an insight into what conversation happened in heaven long before his details in life began to change. Don't you wish when you were going through challenge, you could understand a little bit about why and what might be going on? Nowhere in this book does Job ever get to have explained to him what's really at stake. A cosmic trial over Job's integrity, over Job's heart. And what is he going to do when the details in his life change? He doesn't ever find that out. We do. And we're invited into that inside story so that we can figure out what we would do in a similar situation when the details of our lives begin to crumble. I got to tell you, sometimes when I look at church people, when I look at my own life, I don't have to go any further than me, and I look at the situation in my life, the truth of the matter is when things are difficult, at first they drive me to my knees. And when I get done praying and the details haven't changed the way I think they should, I find in me, and I'm sure that you're more spiritual than me, but I find in me often a growing frustration and an anger and a disappointment because deep down, here's what I believe about the world. You know, I believe that pretty much good people should have a pretty good life. That's pretty much the way I believe about the world. And I pretty much put myself in the category of good. How about you? Do you do the same for yourself? I mean, I'm better than Jeffrey Dahmer. How about you? Yeah? Yeah, you're better than Jeffrey Dahmer? I, I, I'm better than, than Charles Manson. Aren't you better than Charles Manson? I mean, it, it, I'm, not, you know, I'm not on trial for some heinous group of crimes that I've committed. And so because I think of myself in a pretty good way, I think I should get a pretty good life. And when I don't get a pretty good life at whatever level I'm not enjoying it, I find in me a frustration and an anger, and honestly, a disappointment that happens because my view of the world is being challenged, that good people should get good life, and honestly, bad people deserve kind of a bad life. That's kind of, kind of I don't like to say that, but it's pretty much the way I operate. And by the way, that's not just me. 
all through the book of Job, here's the idea that's being combated. It's an idea that is still very rampant, not just in the Bible, but is rampant today. And it's counter to what God wants you to know about the way he operates. There's the idea, and you can say this with me in just a second, that good get good. Would you say that? Good get good. One more time. Good get good. And then conversely, bad get bad. Right? One more time. Bad get bad. That was the idea that people had in the Bible. That you didn't even really have to figure out God. You didn't need a personal relationship with him. You just live your life pretty good and you're guaranteed a certain amount of goodness in your life. Other religions have picked up on this theme. They call it karma. You get good if you are good and you get bad if you are bad. The book of Job stands in stark contrast because we're told that Job was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. And all kinds of calamity began to fall on him in the middle of not his blame, but in his blamelessness. Not in the middle of his lack of integrity, but in the middle of his integrity, all kinds of difficulty began to come to him. What this means, friends, is that you can have some bad stuff in your life that isn't directly tied to your badness. It happens. Good people get sick. Good people go through financial difficulties. Hard workers lose their jobs. It happens. Good people have children sometimes that wander away for years, decades, sometimes entire lifetimes. The truth of the matter is, is that this underlying current that if you're pretty good, you can expect a good life and that God's the one who guarantees that, it's just the way it works, is not at all what the Bible teaches. In fact, it goes hardcore against that. It says that a relationship with God isn't dependent upon Your goodness. A relationship with God, the ultimate connection you can have in this world, the ultimate truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Your ultimate connection to God isn't dependent upon you being good. This flies in the face of what was going on around Job's time and what goes around in our world today. You realize how many people that you know that need to be sitting in these seats hearing about marriage and having us partner with their kids? Here's their idea. If I come to church before I can do that, I got to get cleaned up. I got to get my life going in the right direction. And then, and when I, when I do that, then I have room for God in my life. They're operating in the idea that says, I only deserve the good when I am good. I need to get my life cleaned up. They're kind of like on this end of the spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who feel like they're pretty good. Their life's going good. They don't need God at all because why would they? They live in the suburbs. Their house is being paid for. Their job's pretty stable. Their kids are pretty good. Their marriage is pretty okay. Their health is pretty fine. They don't need God in their life. This idea that the good get good and the bad get bad is one of the primary barriers to an authentic, loving relationship with a God who comes to you and he says, My commitment to you, my relationship with you is not built on any of that stuff. He comes to us in the story of Job, which honestly is a whole lot like the picture of Jesus. He comes to us in the story of Job. He comes to us in the person of Jesus and he says, I'd like for you to consider a different way about how the universe operates. I'd like for you to consider a different way that the fundamental relationship that you have in life, your relationship with your creator, isn't governed by the law that says if you're good, you get good, and if you're bad, you get bad. I'd like to rewrite the law. And I'd like to call it something beyond the law or beyond religion. I'd like to call it the gospel. And here's what the gospel says. First of all, none of us are perfectly good. 
All of us have a certain element of bad in our life. That means all of us in this room, I don't even know the details of your life, but it's true for you and it's true for me. All of us in this room have done some bad stuff. None of us have lived perfectly. Job was blameless. He wasn't perfect, but he had integrity. That doesn't mean that he was without sin. It means that his connection with God was built on something more than just good get good and bad get bad. The gospel says to you and I that those of us who might be good but still have some bad in our life, God would like to connect with us, not when we get cleaned up and get our act together, not when we make God the priority he should be and our life begins to fall in line with the teachings of the Bible. That's not when he wants to do it. And God doesn't want us to feel like we don't need him if we got our stuff pretty good and don't really have a sense that we need him because our money's in place and our health is in place and our relationships are in place. God wants a relationship with every single person who on some level is the spectrum of good to bad. Maybe you're good and a little bit of bad. Maybe you're a lot of bad, but wherever you are in the spectrum, God wants to have a relationship with you through the paradigm of the gospel. The gospel that says your works, your goodness don't earn you anything with God. Can I be blunt for just a second? The Bible says that mine and your best efforts to be good with God, they are like filthy rags to him. And we only use the phrase filthy rags because the original translators of the Bible from Greek into English didn't like what the Greek really implied. The Bible says that mine and your efforts at righteousness are like menstrual rags to God. It's a disgusting picture. But more disgusting are those of us who rely on our goodness to connect us to God. The gospel of Jesus comes to us and says this. We see it in the testimony of Job. That God is the kind of God who loves his creation. Not based on anything they do or don't do. Not based on the commitments they make and the commitments they break. The gospel of the Lord comes to us and says, God would like a relationship with you. And would you be willing to begin a relationship with him? Not based on whether or not you're going to live up to it. Not based on whether or not you're living up to it. Not based on whether or not you have a sense that you need it. But would you be willing to come to him in an authentic way and present yourself flawed and all and say, God, I receive the gift you have for me. The gospel begins not with the paradigm that says, if you're good, you get good, so get your life cleaned up so you can have the favor of God on your life. The gospel begins with this different idea altogether that you'll never be good enough, but God wants a relationship with you anyway. This, friends, is good news. This is a stumbling block, the Bible says to most people. A stumbling block that says, do you mean I can come to God just as I am? Do you mean I can come to God with all of my stuff? Do you mean that it's not even on the promise? God doesn't love me for who I'm becoming. He just loves me as I am. It doesn't seem to make sense. That's not fair, people say to me. And you couldn't be more right. There's nothing fair about the gospel. The whole gospel event, the whole story of Job, the, the little Jesus in the Old Testament who is righteous and has all this bad stuff happen to him, just like Jesus who was perfect and takes on the entire sin of the world, the only perfect man to ever live on the face of this earth, takes on all the sin and suffers a death on a cross that he didn't deserve. The gospel story begins with anything other than fairness. 
And do you know who benefits there? You and I do. I know, I know, listen. I know that because our minds tell us that the book of Job is about the righteous who suffer and how do we understand suffering that we come to this idea and we say, well, when I have bad things happen to me, it's not fair. But preempting your experience is another grand unfairness. It's an unfairness that runs in the other direction. Here it is. You get to have a relationship with you because Jesus was treated unfairly. You get to have a relationship with God that isn't based on your works. It isn't based on your perfection because the perfect man sat in this seat and was found guiltless. And God accepted his perfection on your behalf. What this means, friends, the reason this is good news is that no matter where you're coming from, right now, God isn't done with you. And he's not waiting on you to get it together to begin with you. He's not loving the future you that has it all together. And so he's just kind of being patient, waiting for you to get there so he can finally love the full you. No, he loves you right now. What this means is if you feel like life is treating you a bit unfair, I, I get it, and I don't want to sound insensitive. Some of you have suffered things that I can't even imagine. The pain you've had doesn't come anywhere close to the pain I've had, and it would be foolish of me to try to denigrate or downgrade your sense of pain and, 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 and injustice in the world. I get it. I'm not even talking about your personal experience. I'm just saying that behind your story, there is an injustice, an injustice on a cosmic level in the person of Jesus. And you begin to get a sense of him in the story of Job. You begin to get a sense of what kind of God we serve who isn't first and foremost concerned about fairness. He's concerned about connecting with you. He's not first and foremost concerned about the details around your life. He is more concerned about a basic foundational truth. Will you walk this life with me? And if we get the foundation right, if we get to the bedrock of what your connection to God is about, then we can walk this life in a way that will change everything. So that if the circumstances change and you get sick, your faith doesn't have to be fleeting. And if the circumstances change and your my monetary situation you know, takes an abrupt turn, you may be having appropriate concern, there might be challenges for you to manage, but it doesn't have to rock your world on a foundational level. This is the gift that God wants for all of us. Next week when I plow down through the, the story of Job and we look at some of the details and the way God communicates this truth, you should have in mind a couple of things. The story of Job teaches very clearly. First of all, God will be with you through everything. This relationship, since it's not based on you, means you can't push it away. It means that no challenge that comes in your life will at all prevent God from connecting to you. It won't. The Bible says it this way, there's nothing so high, there's nothing so low or so wide that God's love cannot penetrate and his relationship with you cannot stand. It will, it will, God will be with you. The other thing that you and I can take away from the book of Job as we dig into the details next week is that not only is God with you, but God's for you. He, he's for you on a level you can't even understand yet. What I want for you more than anything else, what I want for you more than I want a healthy marriage because I want your relationship with God, the foundation of your being, to be right. I believe that will create a wellspring of, of, of experience, a wellspring of reality that will change all the details of your life. 
I think you'll find a new motivation, for instance, for getting up and coming to church. I think you'll find a new motivation for turning away when you have a challenge in your marriage from giving a wrath-filled word or an angry word to giving a word of peace-bringing or hope or love. I think it'll help you take the words of the Scripture to heart a little more clearly when the Bible says all of us should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to wrath. I think it affects how you treat each other in the marketplace. Not so that we can get the favor of God, but because we already have the favor of God in our life. I'd like to think that if God were to choose my life to go in a different direction than I think it's going to go, that I would have that bedrock relationship with him that carries me over those waves. Job went on an entire journey, a conversation with his friends, with some young people who kind of had a new and, 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 and different way of understanding the world, and ultimately a conversation with God that changed him and helped him to see some things he had never seen before. I think next week the same thing can happen to you. Now here's my question for you. Whether you know it or not, you're already sitting in this seat to some degree. You already are. I mean, it's true. The, 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 the reality is, is that what your motivation for serving God is, is already on trial. It's being tested in the details of your life right now. Whether you're going through challenge or through blessing, you're being on some level tested, tried about what your connection to God is really all about. Some of you are having that come through through the lenses of a marriage issue, a relational difficulty, a financial thing, a spiritual crisis, a health issue. You're already in this seat. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I would like you to consider holding on to the hand that's already reaching out to you. I want us to unpack this idea next week as we dig into the details of Job's life. And I want you to see a God who is powerful and gracious and kind. See, I know this. I know that if we talk about marriages for a few weeks and we get fired up, for some of us, that's as far as we go because the, the challenge, the, the difficulty begins to quiet in our life as we lean in and follow God's teachings about relationships. And for some of us, in one sense, listen to me, here's, here's my heart, that'll be the worst thing that can happen for you. Because your track record is this, when things go well, you think you don't need God. Oh, you know you need him ultimately, you just don't think you need him right now. I don't want that to happen to you. The reason we're following up with such a practical series like Marriage, with a book like Job, is we need to get down to your heart and my heart and to discover a God who is present with us that says, it's not based on what you do that I have this relationship with you. So what are the implications for that? What does that mean practically in your life? What's it going to look like? How are you going to live the reality of Job 42.10? The latter part of his life was greater than the former. It will not happen simply because you get back the stuff you've lost. It will not happen simply because you've been blessed. It will happen because you've had an encounter with God that has changed everything. And I want you to have an encounter with God. I don't want just your marriages healed. I don't want you to just have good kids. I don't want you to just obey God's teaching and finance because it really does help you. Although we want to help you in all of those areas. I want you to have a relationship with the creator of the universe who comes to you and he says, not based on what you do or will do or don't do or won't do. 
I love you and I invite you to have a relationship with me and it can change everything. What are you going to do when you're sitting here? Because you already are. You already are. Now, I know some of you are going through difficulty and next week I'm going to give you some practical help on how to manage that, how to understand that, how to frame that so that you can invite God in in a tangible way. I, I, I really am. Some of you are going through a pretty good time, but and I don't mean to be like a prophet of doom, but just hold on because your day has already come or it's coming. All of us, none of us are exempt from difficulties. But more than anything, more than giving you practical advice and a next step to take, I want you to move forward on your relationship with God. Because if the book of Job is about anything, it is about a sovereign up here God who chose to take off his sense of regality. And the Bible says he put on human flesh and he stepped down into our world so that he could have a relationship with us. And he looked at you and he said, now listen, I know you think you're all messed up, but I still want to love you. And he looked at others and he said, I know you think you got it all together, but I still want to have a relationship with you. Will you enter into this relationship with me? And will you do it on a deep level, not just securing your eternity? I mean, some of us, are connected to God only because we're afraid of what's going to happen. It's, it's a cosmic fire insurance, if you will. I don't want you to just secure your eternity. I want you to have an active, ever-present relationship with me because I am the active, ever-present God. The gospel says that no amount of law-keeping or rule-breaking affects our relationship with God. It might affect your experience. It might affect your enjoyment, but it doesn't affect the fundamental relationship. Religion teaches you just the opposite. So what we're going to do is we're going to break those binds, bindings. We're going to break those chains. And we're going to help some of us in this room move forward with a relationship with God that is going to produce for you a lifetime of fruitfulness that's going to bring to you a stability you've not known up to this point in your spiritual life. It's going to have tentacles that reach out into your relationships and finances and health issues because at the foundation of your soul will be a God who is rock solid. A God who is ever present with you and a God who is for you. And a God who wants to show you himself in such a way that it changes you. Would you grab out your connect card and let's take a few steps together. I've talked about this relationship that God has and he wants us to have with him that he offers us. So I'm wondering if there's anybody in the room that needs to check next step A. It's a recurring one for us, one we value a lot around here. I want to accept Jesus as the leader of my life and the savior of my life, the forgiver of my sins for the very first time. If that's you, why don't you check the box and we'll communicate with you. Next step B, I want to get baptized as a way of going public with my faith. Listen, a lot of you are considering that. That's coming up very soon uh, in April, for April 1, just a few weeks away. Check the box. We'll get you uh, connected there. All right, next step C. Now listen, maybe this is you. I've been tempted to throw in the towel, but today I'm committed to holding on a while longer. Give me one more week to talk to you about this awesome God and to begin to unpack what it should look like. So if you're on the verge of throwing in the towel in your marriage, in your spiritual life, in some relationship, I'm asking you over the next seven days to pray, to think, to consider, and then come next week and be prepared for God to show you himself in a way that I, I think will that give you some hope, practical hope, real hope. All right, next step, D. I've let some hard circumstances cause me to pull away, um, but today I want to re-engage. 
Listen, I know that all of us come from various places in our, in our spiritual journey. And some of you are like, you know, you've just been beat up. It's, it's been raining on you. And that's caused your passion for God to, to dim. It's caused you to pull away from relationships. I'm asking you to be willing to reconsider a re-engagement and to try to find a stability that maybe has been elusive for you as of late. And so by checking this box, it's an act of your faith. We're going to join with you in prayer. We're just going to ask you to be willing to re-engage and get over the hump and maybe see God from a different perspective. All right, next step B. I want to press in fully with God to discover how my latter days might be able to be greater than my former ones. Listen, if that's you, and it's, maybe that's everybody in the room, I don't know. If that's you, we want to help you do that. We just did some of that with marriage. We're doing this some techni- technically now with some hard theology with Job. And we're going to do it fundamentally different with some, some stuff on finances and freedom there over the next few weeks as well. So we're going to help you. We believe God wants to bless you out of a relationship that isn't based on your performance. And I want you to know that, God, and let that bring stability to you. All right, let's pray about these things. Lord Jesus, God, thank you so much for the literature of the book of Job. Inspired by your spirit, recorded for our benefit. God, it's tough, it's difficult to watch a man who didn't deserve the stuff that happened to him, whose friends come alongside, try to help him. And, and yet the fundamental point of who you are is eluding them. God, today, we want to strip through not only that literature, but the, the details of our life. And we want to find you, God, in the center. God, we want to be able to sing with passion the song we sung earlier, that you give and take away, but your name is still blessed. We're still committed to you. God, we want to know you in a way that brings stability God, we want to walk out the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And God, we don't want to let any part of our lives be untouched by it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.